Good afternoon and welcome to our Reality TV Stars podcast. What steps should contestants take to protect their interests? Hit reality TV shows such as Love Island, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Big Brother and The Only Way is Essex have continued to attract thousands of viewers season after season, creating a parade of new celebrities in a fantastic position to seek commercial success from their time on set. However, these shows have not been without controversy and it's clear that many who have appeared on such shows have gone on to struggle with their newly found fame and, and the pitfalls and trappings of it. Reality TV shows continue, however, to create exciting and popular household names. But what are the legal steps that contestants and stars of these shows need to take to protect themselves and their families? I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, Manisha Hudchen, who is an associate in the family team, and Natalie Payne, who is also an associate in the private client team, where we will be discussing the steps that reality TV stars should take before and during their career. So, Mo, let's begin by looking at the pitfalls of becoming a celebrity. What are the risks associated with stardom? Thanks, Natalie. Um, there's lots of risks associated with gaining fame. And as I've touched upon, lots of different reality TV shows are available on all kinds of platforms, whether it's digital, social media, clips, and traditional TV. Um, as, a, as a result, the reputational risk is quite wide. And what we have seen over the years is that there is certainly reputational risks for participants and contestants of these shows. Um, when investigators, journalists, look into their past and look to elicit them for information on the public interest. So what we have seen from a lot of contestants over the years is a trimming down or a cleansing of their social media profiles prior to entering into um, some of these reality TV shows. Now that doesn't always happen. And where it hasn't happened successfully, journalists and uh, the public media take an interest in what a contestant may have said or what they may have had a personal opinion upon. And because of the reputation they gain during their participation of the show, um, any of their opinions are exemplified um, and completely also taken out of context. So the reputational risk continues to grow the longer they are a participant of the show. Um, as I've said, social media can also be a trap uh, for those kind of blunders and risks as well. Combined with this reputational risk is always the financial risk associated with fame. Now, whilst reality TV contestants can be participants of a number of commercial opportunities, whether that's during the show um, or after the show, they are often not very well advised uh, prior to going into the show or post-show. Um, reality TV shows have looked at this over the years and have encourage participants and contestants to gain independent financial advice as to how their earnings can best be utilised. But we know between the three of us that that isn't always the case. And there are lots of examples in the media um, where unfortunately participants have uh, had a very successful year post their participation in a show. Um, you've got lots of uh, examples from Love Island, for example, where they will gain an endorsement deal um, potentially with a big fashion brand and following that one year deal, they haven't, because they haven't been advised, they haven't thought about how they should look after those earnings and the potential for it to be monetized long-term. 
Um, it's a kind of a risk within um, their own space that they haven't really thought about what kind of professional advisors they need to get on board. And whilst there is a duty on shows to promote financial advice and help contestants uh, to think about the things we'll talk about today and the pitfalls we see, um, the duty isn't on them. And if you're a reality TV contestant um, who's participated or is participating in or has participated in a show and you're listening to this podcast, it is so important for you to obtain financial advice. Um, we as lawyers are unable to provide that kind of advice, but we dovetail very neatly with those financial advisors and both um, Natalie and Manisha and I uh, work very closely with financial advisors to ensure that as a contestant of the show, we can not only look to protect you in the short term, but also the long term. I think what we've also started to see is reality TV contestants thinking about some of the risks they never would have thought about before. For example, what happened if they fell ill or, or they died? Um, and where do their assets go? They may have bought cars and new houses, um, and they may have been in the midst of, of their celebrity fame. Natalie, um, I'm sure you'll be happy to talk about um, some of these things a bit later in terms of the impact of not having a, a something called a lasting power of attorney and the importance of having a will in place. Um, and it's just important for me to highlight actually that some of the pitfalls we're talking about and some of the risks I've mentioned, usually um, they may come into the mindset of a, of a contestant at a very short term point. So it may be only when it hits them that they are dealing with that problem or issue. Um, but what hopefully uh, we can talk about today is why it's so important to think about the long-term effects of being a contestant and participating in such shows. Yeah, that's right, Mo. And obviously, you know, the contestants that do go on to do well, many of them will become stars and will seek to build a brand from their appearance on those sorts of shows and obviously the endorsements that come with that. So how can they start going about building and protecting their brand? I think it's a, it's a really good question. It's a question we get asked quite a lot about commercialising, building and enhancing a, a contestant's brand and an influencer's brand in, in that sense. Um, there's lots of different ways. The first thing is to really understand what that individual stands for. What is their brand? What, what things are they aligned to in terms of uh, either companies or entities? any synergies they've currently made to that point. So what we tend to do is look at something called the brand equity and make a bit of an evaluation, create almost like a mini brand portfolio. So what um, brands reflect their interests? What brands do they currently engage with? And is there an alignment between the, the portfolio we're looking at and uh, whether it matches up to their long-term personal views uh, and development? Um, so when we're starting to think about these things and we've created this brand portfolio, we then look to see what kind of legal rights lie within the portfolio. So, for example, we could look to register a trademark uh, in the name of that individual um, person. We could look to trademark and register a merchandising line they've created, a cosmetic line they might have developed. Um, we can also then help and make this and take this one step further by 
uh, introducing a tax advisor and working with the, the financial advisors I mentioned before and creating a structure that is tax efficient for them so that the structure itself holds the image and is able to license it out. And that in itself takes um, the individual and their brand to another level. And we see examples of that with the most well-known athletes in the world, the Cristiano Ronaldo's, the David Beckham's, et cetera, have huge structures that allow them to mon uh, monopolize, monetize, build and protect on, on their own personal brands. Um, what an individual has to be kind of careful about is getting the right advice at this point, making sure that they can prevent anyone from ripping off their brand or copycats trying to export their brand um, to ensure that once they've got it set up, um, that it's continually protected. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest um, points we always have to kind of raise when we're dealing with influencers creating their brand, registering their trademarks isn't the end of the journey. And that's just the start. So it's all about where do we go from there? How do we kind of continue to make sure that um, any of their day-to-day -day activities don't affect the brand value? Um, how do we make sure that the brand is being utilized? Are we considering it in the agreements that we're signing with different brands? Um, and what brand reputation management really means? Um, coupled with all of this, and as we've, I mentioned earlier, it's always going to be the dangers of social media. And I think both, um, you, both, both of us have actually, and all of us have talked talked about, you know, the dangers of social media and the pitfalls associated, and what you can, should, and should not say on different platforms, especially if you carry a certain brand value. Um, this is where brand reputation management really comes in. And what we look to do is, as legal advisors is ensure that the right professional team is around the influencer or the contestants part of this. Uh, reality TV show and that can happen during their time on the show or what we would recommend straight after um, and hopefully we can pull that that team together for them and I think from taking um, and looking at these individuals as a brand it's important to also um, consider that a lot of these shows um, do engage a personal relationship whilst I've talked much about the commercial side of things and the brand reputation or management um, and what that means there is a personal level to all of this um, so Manisha as you know many people do fall in love during the shows I'm not sure that that goes on for a long time but um, what, what really should these kind of new couples be considering especially if you see some of the shows such as Love Island which are, are out there to promote people falling in love and dating afterwards and creating long-term relationships. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like you say, Love Island is all about that. But with the other um, shows as well, you know, people connect and after the shows, you know, they get into relationships and, and they're both successful and, and they both have, have money at that point. So there's a wealth of things that, you know, these new couples need to consider. Obviously, if they're in a relationship, but they're still living separately and all of their assets are kept separate, there's nothing really for them to worry about because they'll each have their financial advisors around them, you know, guiding them through what they need to do as individuals. The, um, you know, the backdrop changes as soon as they start to think about living together. And it's at that point 
that point then and I would stress it's then before they move in together that they need to start getting broader advice so from people like you Nat and me about what that means in terms of mingling their assets um, so under family law obviously they can look at putting together a cohabitation agreement which is exactly what it says on the tin if they want to move in together um, you know regardless as to whether it's going to be a new place that they're both you know buying or moving into or whether it's one of their properties that they own in their sole names clearly they'll want to regulate how the other person um, lives in that property or how they both live in a new property um, so that they're just making very clear as to who has what rights um, or whether you know neither of them have any rights if unfortunately the relationship breaks down and somebody has to move out so you know that's really number one don't leave it until you know, you've signed a new lease or completion on a property, um, do it at the start of, you know, the conversations about moving in. It's not, people think it's, you know, not romantic. It's not really about that. It's, you know, we're in 2020, we're moving into 2021 and everyone just needs to be savvy about their finances. So I think that's number one. Number two, you know, I still see it now that there is a myth about um, a common law marriage that doesn't exist I know it was you know a common you know a popular phrase that was thrown around during the 60s 70s and 80s but I still hear it now where people who mm. just decided not to get married um, but have been together for 20 30 years and then unfortunately you know it, it falls apart they say well you know I've, I've got rights I've still got all the rights because you know common law husband or common law wife unfortunately that is just not a thing it's a myth it's a legend and it's not a very good one either so don't buy into it um, completely ignore that um, because unmarried couples simply just don't have the rights that married couples do and when it comes to the unfortunate breakdown of their relationship unlike a married couple um, they can't rely on one statute which married couples can to sort out their finances you know we've got to look to various um, laws to help them so property laws um, if there are children separate children laws etc so be wary of that you know if you just want to be in a relationship without getting married absolutely fine of course but you you have to realize that no matter how long you're together for it will never give you the same rights as a married couple so something to bear in mind and then obviously if couples are thinking of moving on um, in terms of their relationship and getting married I think it's widely known now that it's a very good idea to get a prenuptial agreement and mm -hmm. again you know that's not legally binding in England and Wales yet because the government has a lot of other things to think about but it will be I'm pretty sure you know once the government um, turns its attention to it it will be passed in our laws just like you know it's legally binding in many other European countries in America etc um, and that's a really important step in, in terms of protecting income and assets it shows really good intention as to what you know each of each of the parties wanted to do and there's a procedure so that it's valid you know you each have to get independent legal advice um, it needs to be signed off at least 28 days before the wedding I would always advise you know as far in advance as possible um, and there can't be duress or pressure involved obviously because it, it could tend to invalidate it but it you know it will show if the marriage breaks down what 
everyone was thinking at the time and you know just the intention there and what what they need to bear in mind that yes it, it is it's a very good idea but the family courts here when it comes to dividing you know assets and property on a divorce the court does have a wide discretion so as long as the prenup that was done in the past is still fair when it comes to the divorce then there's no reason you know why it shouldn't be upheld and the term shouldn't be you know adhered to so always a very good idea at least get the advice at least have the conversations with us about it and then lastly you know obviously if if they have you know gotten married and it's all gone south um and they want to get divorced well obviously you know we've got the, the process um for that already it's pretty straightforward in terms of just dissolving the marriage the one thing i would um point out at this point is we have had recent reform in our divorce laws so come next autumn i think it'll be implemented in terms of there um being a no fault divorce based system which means that you know happily nobody needs to take the blame as to why the marriage has broken down whereas right now if they haven't been separated for at least two years somebody inevitably has to take the blame so that the divorce can go through but that is really just kind of a snapshot of the sorts of things they need to be looking at um, and you know if anyone needs to discuss these things just touch base with any of us so moving on from there, Mo, I think, you know, many reality TV stars, they come into wealth quite quickly and they also form new relationships quite, quite quickly. Um, and we've discussed all of that so far. But now, in addition to creating such things, you know, like the cohabitation agreements um, and the prenups, what else can these newly found celebrities do? So thank you, Anisha. Um... In relation, obviously, to what Manisha's been saying about the differences between being married and unmarried, and that is also very, very important in relation to wills and passing away. So if you don't have a will, then the intestacy rules will determine who inherits your estate. So you really must understand who your nearest relatives are if you do not have a will. And a big misconception, as Manisha said, is there is no such thing as a common law husband and wife. So if you have been cohabiting with someone and you haven't done a will and you pass away, that person will get nothing from your estate. And that is because obviously your relationship isn't formalized in a legal way in the eyes of the law. If you're married, it's very different. Your spouse will receive everything if you don't have children. But if you do have children, then the estate is split differently under the intestacy rules. And that often does give rise to inheritance tax liability that needn't have happened. So that is why when you do come into wealth and you do formalise more formal relationships, it's really important to take legal advice as to how your assets devolve when you die. So leading on to that, the key reasons to have a will is, first of all, to ensure that the people you want to inherit from your estate do so. It's also very important to appoint the people which are the executors to administer your estate. And these are people that you trust because they're gonna have complete control over your assets. So that's why it's very important to have someone who's basically good at admin. And then the other things to consider with executors is, as Mo said, a lot of people who obviously find stardom and so on get a lot of opportunities to start new businesses. Now, the person you appoint as your executor 
might be very good at sort of managing your personal affairs, but maybe not so much your business, which you may want to continue after you're gone because you may want to pass it on to your children. So sometimes people will consider appointing an executor purely to deal with their business because that person has the right acumen in order to do that for them. So that is something you can plan for via your will. Also, um, you can put in funeral directions. I see a little bit morbid, but you can put that in your will if you've got specific things you want to happen or you're worried that certain people won't adhere to your wishes. Um, you can also put in legacies to people or charities, and that can be in the form of money or you can give specific items to people. And often personal effects are one of the biggest causes for contentious claims against the states. Um, you can also tax plan via your will. And as Mo has alluded to, we do work very closely with financial advisors in order to make sure that if well, it is the inevitable, we are gonna pass away, but especially if it is unexpected, that your estate is as tax efficient as possible. And there are ways that you can do that via your will, whether that's by trust, gifts to certain beneficiaries who are exempt from inheritance tax, such as spouses and civil partners, and also charities. And also in relation to your will, very important thing that you, well, it's very important to put in your will, is guardianship. So if you have mm. children, you can appoint a guardian to look after them in your will. If you were to die without a will and you have children who are under 18, there is a very significant risk that they will become a ward of the court because there is no one legally appointed if both parents have died to look after them. If one parent has died, then the surviving parent obviously has parental responsibility and will continue to look after that child. But again, if parents have separated, you may want to appoint someone to act alongside the guardians that your um, former partner might have appointed. And also you might want your family to continue to have contact with that child. So it's really important to consider guardianship and especially for children, because obviously no one wants a child not to be looked after by someone that you pick. Um, so there's all the key things to think about in relation to wills and to highlight why they are so important and how far reaching they are in protecting everyone that you love and care about. And especially if you come into wealth, because it can cause a lot of problems and a huge amount of upset in people bringing challenges against your estate. The other side of that, which is often missed, is lasting powers of attorney. So whereas a will is to deal with your assets and your debts, when you pass away, a lasting power of attorney is to deal with your the same affairs, the same finances when you, well, when or if you were to lose capacity. Now, most people consider that to be when you're old because of dementia, but unfortunately, capacity can be lost due to obviously a head injury from a car accident, falling off a horse, um, an extreme sport going wrong. There's lots of things that can happen in our life that can completely and utterly transform ourselves and obviously how we can do things for ourselves. So lasting powers attorney are split into two. You can have one for your finances and you can also have one for your health and welfare. We always recommend that you have both. Obviously, understandably, finances is often used more often than health and welfare, because obviously that's sometimes more imminent that things need to be dealt with. But the reason it's so important is that if something does happen to you and you aren't able to manage your affairs, and you don't have a lasting power of, power of attorney in place, then we will have to make an application to the Court of Protection 
and that is extremely costly. And if you have a business and obviously branding endorsements, that could completely and utterly freeze because it can take up to a year, like six months to a year to get a court order. Whereas if you have a power of attorney all in place and you put special provision in there for your business to be run by your attorneys or have a separate business lasting power of attorney, then all of those assets can continue to be administered straight away rather than months and months passing where that could cause colossal losses to your assets within your estate and cause catastrophic damage to your family at a time when they obviously need you and your expenses have gone up, especially medical care, if something's happened to you. So, and also in relation to lasting powers of attorney, um, there are quite a few obviously directions and things you can put in them and it's always advisable to take legal advice to make sure they are comprehensive and cover all matters in your estate and that you've taken advice as to who are the right people to look after your assets. So yeah, that, Natalie, I think that's, that's, that's really, um, it's really highlighted the importance, um, especially for me about why, why reality TV stars and contestants and participants and influencers that fall out of it need to, whilst they wouldn't necessarily want to think about um, life when they're not here but or when they've lost capacity it just showcases the importance of planning and I think everything we've spoken about today is about planning to avoid pitfalls and dangers that crop up in in the life uh, cycle of either being a commercial um, star and or celebrity or falling out from um, a brand deal and you're building your brand up and and taking it forward and monetizing it with everything that we've talked about, it's quite clear that um, it's it's imperative for you um, as a reality TV star, whether that's during or post your participation in a show, um, to think about the commercialization of your brand, to think about your personal relationships that follow uh, that show, um, to consider planning for your future and your family. With all three aspects, we are always here to help and we have helped clients um, over the years uh, with those issues. Um, and I just want to say thank you for, to Manisha and Natalie for joining me for this, which is our latest edition of the Matt Raw Solicitors podcast. And if you are a reality TV star um, in the midst of a show or post show and you want to contact us to discuss any of the topics we've talked about today, please do not hesitate to contact and visit www.macro.com. Join us again for the next podcast episode and we look forward to seeing you and hearing from you.